0: Peter, come on up. I, um, I usually um, am not here when you speak. I know. And I know this is not in the service program, so you're probably wondering what in the world I'm doing right now. I am now. wondering what in the world you're doing right now. <laughs> you're you're super prophetic. Yes, and you're wondering... Um, you know, the reason I wanted to come up and say something before is that we've known each other for a while, and we joke around and have lots of fun. We do, and uh, at at my expense usually. You're joking, um, but <laughs> no, I I just want you to know how grateful we are as a congregation that hmm. you come and do this. You know, Peter has been teaching in uh, at Northwestern. He's taught at Bethel. Radio personality. I oh, mean, all these man, different things. Super popular. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but we are really grateful. And I asked you to speak and this whole thing of connecting because I thought it would be really good, um, since the environment and, and where he works and just his own family, to talk about raising kids. And thank you for,
1: for doing that. Yeah, it's good to be here, Kevin. It's fun to, yeah, it's so fun to be with all of you. you. Um, it is fun, and uh, and Kevin, I am glad you're here because normally you're away when I'm speaking, and I know you stream it live while I am away, and so my phone starts blowing up through all manner of social media channels as you are texting me and tweeting me and tumbling me and snapchatting me uh, all sorts of Bible verses throughout the service. So, um, Grace, if you see him take his phone out this morning, maybe just throw him on a technological fast real quick um, it would be helpful. It is delightful. I know the four of us share dinner together, the two of us and Hallie and I. And we talk about connection. And it's one of those things that you create space for something like that. And I never walk away from a meal with fellow believers thinking, gosh, I really wish I wasn't connected. Um, it, it, there's something about it that just brings some kind of peace to the soul that I think I just miss out on so much in the busyness of life. life. So thanks for having me here. And I think, as you know, yeah, I grew up here. I love being here. Love seeing all of you in so many long-term relationships. And as Kevin... I said he asked me to speak a bit this morning about staying connected as families. My wife, Hallie, and I have five children, and just because we have five children doesn't mean that uh, we are connected all the time as a family. In fact, as I got into this topic a little bit in preparation, I realized that it is really difficult to stay connected as families these days. With the way things have shifted, with the way things have moved, I'll say quite a bit about that. This morning, even from a generation ago, things have changed so much that to stay connected is really a difficult task. So if you are here this morning as a family or as a single person, as a grandparent, whatever stage of life, and you're feeling disconnected relationally, it's not because you are less than Christian somehow, or it's not because you're weird or some sort of failure. It really is, if we can understand, and, and I'll say a little bit about this in a minute, uh, it really is as a result of so many of the shifts in our culture that have caused a different kind of pace of life that has led us to quite a bit of disconnection, because I was thinking about it this last week, and uh, and just in terms of the cultural waters in which we are swimming week in and week out, it's kind of hard to know sometimes when you're sort of just swimming in these waters to to know how those waters are affecting you, and, and to try to crawl out of those waters and see them for what they are is a really difficult task. It's something that I actually don't do very often in my life, but if we do sort of climb out of those waters a bit, what we would find is that our country and our culture was founded on some really noble principles, but those principles, if we fully engage with them and seek to fully realize them, are probably going to lead us to a greater sense of fragmentation and disconnection than towards relationship with one another. There are two different kingdoms in which we find ourselves. One is the kingdom of our country, and one is the kingdom of Jesus and in the kingdom of our country, it has certain value systems associated with it that may, if we actually look at them for a little bit, sound a bit different than the values of the kingdom. For example, one of the top ideals of our American life when it comes to families, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to thinking about how we should shepherd our children, one of the top phrases we might use is that our kids can what? They can be Whatever they want to be. They can be whatever they want to be. But when that ideal is held up next to the ideals of the kingdom, it sounds very different because in the kingdom we're told different kinds of things like our life is not our own actually. It's been bought with a price. The American ideals, and I love our country, but they would suggest that we can be whatever we want to be. Our life is our own to make do, to go forward in whatever way we can, and we can be empowered to see fit. The values of the kingdom are that our life is not our own. It's been bought with a price. So with that, I'd love to sort of outline for you a few points related to that when it comes to shepherding and parenting and being families together and being connected together. I'd love to pray as we get started and then jump into some of this and see that if we're feeling disconnected, I'll just keep saying it's not because we're weird or less than Christian or not spiritual enough. There really are some significant cultural forces that fragment us if we pursue them in our lives. So with that, let's pray as we get started and then we'll jump in for the morning. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. I thank you for just the light that, um, at least to me, it feels like it shines when I walk in these doors. For people who have, increasing, in increasing ways, given their lives to you. For Kevin and Grace and their faithful leadership as teammates, for all the ministries that are here, trying to walk out life in this kingdom in the midst uh, of of a world that can be tricky. Bless the people in this body. Bless our time this morning in this time to be able to see with clarity the realities of the beautiful kingdom that is eternal of which we're a part. In your name we pray. Amen. So a quick poly-sci lesson this morning, and I'm not a political scientist by any stretch, nor should I ever try to play one anywhere, but if we look at uh, the history of political science, we would see that philosopher John Locke And to a lesser degree, Thomas Hobbes are considered to be the architects of Western culture as we know it today. And their philosophical principles were such that they based their idea that the individual, me or you, is primary. And fundamental to all of life is the idea that we have rights given to us as individuals disconnected from one another. They are, in fact, sort of hardwired into our lives, kind of intrinsically given. Even our Constitution suggests that they are God-given rights. And we're separate and distinct individuals who are invited to pursue a, a sense of happiness that we can define by our own interests. And we have the same rights, all of us, to maybe property or to space or to try to discover a way of life that we would like, and so Sarah's got a slide up on the board. This was sort of uh, Thomas Hobbes' idea and principle, the way that he understood the fundamental fra- fabric of a human being. He said this. Nature has made, nature has made individuals independent. Nature has left each individ- individual to fend for himself. And nature must therefore have granted each person a right to fend for himself. Because this is true, uh, they would suggest that we as individuals are kind of naturally at war with each other, or at the very least, naturally competitive with one another as we're pursuing our sense of individual gain and resources. And the only reason why we might form a government in this situation is because we're trying to avoid some measure of chaos. We have to have some sort of social contract between us that will make sure that we're treating each other well. This is the basis for almost all civil law and government, but they would say that the government should never overreach and step on the toes of the individual. But we do need laws. For example, we need stoplights in order to help govern the way that we drive as we're rolling around the city. We need a stoplight to tell us when to go and when to stop. Although the stoplights, and my mom and I are sort of in a long-standing argument about this, those stoplights, I would suggest, are merely suggestions. They are not hardwired into the fabric of the universe. And so if I was in maybe sort of southwest Iowa, and there's clearly no cars within 10,000 miles, (laughs) and the light is red and the left turn signal... Would anybody else besides me go? Uh, Please tell me some of you are Christians. Okay, good. Yes. So uh, thank you for those of you who are more spiritually formed than the others. And uh, mom, you are still wrong on that. (laughs) But we make these laws simply to sort of govern our life uh, together, to have containers for us as individuals. And mostly we're being invited as we pursue our individual interests, not to bring harm to another person. And so at the very least, we don't kill each other in the pursuit of this. We're supposed to be at least mildly reasonable with one another, which might be helpful in Washington, D.C. these days, thinking about pursuing these things together. It's all fascinating to me, but, you know, I thought about it this last week, and the waters in which I swim are these waters, and they're the same waters many of you are swimming in, but are very thinking is so often influenced and shaped by the idea that we as individuals are free to pursue whatever we want to do. We tell our kids as we're families trying to stay connected together, we give them the message they can be whatever they want to be. But things like free market enterprise and competition among industries and supply and demand, those are all the byproduct of an individualistic kind of system. Church shopping is actually the byproduct of an individualistic system. And in free market enterprise often meets the church to the point that sometimes I find myself in business meetings in the morning, and in the business meeting we're doing demographic analysis to try to figure out who our clients might be so that we can create products to meet their needs and sell the products to them as they are shopping. And I've been in a number of church meetings in the afternoon then, even on that very same day, and guess what? Those meetings don't sound a whole lot different demographic analysis to try to figure out how many people might come to the church based on the perceived needs so we create products to meet those needs and draw them into the church and of course then as parents i know hallie and i have felt pressed and we still wrestle with this even right now as i'm standing here on a sunday morning we still wrestle with how how, are we to empower our kids to be involved in activities, to sort of help create their resumes so that maybe they can get opportunities moving forward to be whatever they want to be. What do we do with that? And creating opportunities in college is like a million dollars a minute these days, and so we need to get a scholarship somehow for them. Because going to college, we'll get more opportunity so they can be whatever they want to be. And I found, I don't know about you, but as I pursue that, it leads to sort of this increasing sense of disconnection relationally in my life. It's actually antithetical to God's kingdom, as I've said, and if we keep pursuing it, I think we'll increasingly experience that disconnection. So three things that we'll address as it relates to that comment. You can be whatever you want to be this morning. We'll go through three parts of this. First of all, we'll find out that to be whatever you want to be is actually not true. It's actually not true. Second, and I've already referenced it, that if we pursue this to its fullest, we will end up disconnected from one each other, and, uh, from each other. And third, it actually is really different to live in God's kingdom than it is to live in a kingdom where we're pursuing whatever we want to be. So first of all, to be whatever we want to be is simply not true. Because if it was, I would be in outer space right now as an astronaut. I would love to be an astronaut, it is my dream to visit Mars, I would love to set foot on that red planet, I've always wanted to go into the cosmos, and so that's what I want to be, but I can't be that, because I have a little bit of a fear of flying, which is problematic. (laughs) I am horrible at parabolas, and so I have no idea how to even sort of like trace the vectors or whatever words those things are, you think I'm bad at polyscience, (laughs) algebra is a nightmare. And the competition for space travel is really stiff. So I might want to be an astronaut. And maybe my mom and dad said, Peter, you can be an astronaut. You really can. But the reality is, is that it's pretty likely that I wouldn't be an astronaut. The competition is stiff. I don't have the talent. I don't have what it takes to be an astronaut. I can't be whatever I want to be, which, why don't we just take a second? Why don't you turn to one another for a second and just say, what's one thing that you would want to be, that you simply cannot be. All right? One thing you want to be, you simply cannot be. Just take a second. Turn to one another on that. <laughs> All right, there's your second. Second's up. So, um... So I think I see my friend Lanny Craig back there in 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 my left. Hi, Lanny. Lanny, what is one thing you would want to be that you cannot be? So you're consulting your wife Judy right now on what you want to be. Okay, so that's good. Um, Tim Tim would approve of that as part of the marriage conference deal. Um, So, so, but I couldn't. So Lanny, let's say just that the boundaries are wide open. You can be whatever you want to be. (laughs) You're happy. So you are what you want to be. Lanny, that's great. That's, I, I, I mean, you're the first person I've ever met that's like, this is, this is who I want to be. That's really <laughs> exciting. Um, so Tim, what do you want to be that you can't be? A pro, golfer. a pro golfer. Um I don't want to ask your age, but is the senior tour still an option for you at this point? <laughs> Just, I mean, you know, it's, it's a little lesser than, but it's a shot, uh, at that. Uh, Les Boxel, I see you back there. What do you want to be? Doctor. Doctor of what? Oh good, yeah. (laughs) Because you know I'm a doctor, but it's pretty useless uh, in terms of. My buddy always says that when you have a PhD, you know increasingly more and more about less and less until you know absolutely everything there is to know about nothing, Uh, and so that uh, (laughs) that applies. Uh, Heather White, what do you want to be? What what would you like to be? (laughs) This is so exciting. Oh, a world so is there one spot you have to get to before, you know, it's at the bucket list spot? Uh, it's a good spot. I love it. Um, one more. Mike Murray, one thing you, you would want to be? I'd love to go around the world and evaluate golf courses. Is there such a job? I've never heard of this. I've never seen that on LinkedIn or anywhere. You can be a golf course evaluator? Golf die, Oh, that's good. So you could be the one who sort of chooses the top hundred. That's good. And Mike, do you think you're gonna be that? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lie, Mike. You cannot be whatever you want to be. It is it's a slogan that has developed distinctly out of an American culture that is founded on principles of individualism in which we are encouraged and in fact even believe we are entitled to pursue a life that is ours to decide and to design. I find it interesting sometimes when American companies that are based on this very premise try to open up new marketplaces. And I remember specifically when Nike, with its catchphrase, just do it, tried to open up the market in China, and they failed miserably. They got absolutely blasted. Because Just Do It is based on sort of this individualistic premise that you should just go for it, realize all of your dreams. I read an article on this and it said, uh, Nike is an American brand and as an American brand the Just Do It sentiment is infused with democratic entitlement and individualism. And that might translate for Nike in places like the United Kingdom or in India because both of those markets are relatively individualistic. But the Chinese guy has to be constantly aware of ever-shifting social power plays. He is expected to look before he leaps and ensure gains for everyone in any transaction. In the pure American sense of impulsiveness, just do it is completely out of kilter with how a man should behave in China. It would be foolhardy and naive to act that way. In China. So they had to change their entire branding and entire messaging for a much deeper relationality that happens in China versus the United States. And that doesn't mean China is better. What it just indicates is that this is a distinctly and quite interesting phenomenon. The idea that we can be whatever we want to be. Most places in the world do not believe this way of life. Most places in history do not believe that this is the case. And yet we parent as families towards this end so often. And in fact, churches, if you want to just do a study of churches in our city just here, and and you wanted to sort of walk through the doors of the largest churches, just doing a quick sort of sociological study of them, what you would find is that the largest churches are not defined as whether they're conservative or liberal. They can be entirely different in terms of their theological spectrum. But what they hold in common is they see themselves as environments in order to empower the individuals with a bit of faith to be whatever they want to be. And it grows massive churches as we are all sort of trying to fit faith into the stream of our life. And there's a tension there, isn't there? Anybody else besides me ever experienced the tension of following Jesus with my whole life? Uh, And yet I think about all of my time as I'm pursuing whatever I want to be. It's a difficult tension. But the largest churches in our city, doesn't matter if they're Catholic or Protestant, liberal or conservative, have figured out how to do that demographic analysis. But it simply isn't true, point number one, that we can be whatever we want to be. Point number two is this, if we pursue this as parents and as families, I would suggest it's going to lead to increasing forms of disconnection that we will begin to feel in our relationships, I know that many of us, as I've already said, are busy trying to build the resumes of our kids so that they can have the opportunities we want them to have moving forward. But it's really different these days, isn't it, than just a generation ago when it comes to getting involved in certain opportunities? You ever tried maybe investing in a traveling baseball team or a soccer club or maybe a competition for people who are good at instruments? It's it's sort of a 24-7 job these days, isn't it? Sort of night in and night out, and that's on top of school and jobs and social media friends and actual friends. Trying to stay involved in these things. I know that I've gone through long seasons in my life, and so and Hallie and the kids where we run from thing to thing to thing, just trying to get up and survive the day, and at 9.30 at night, crash again and do it all over again, running from thing to thing. I did uh, a lot of postgraduate research about four years ago in local churches in the Minneapolis area. And then this time it was 13 different churches, churches. and again, it was uh, Catholic and Protestant, liberal and conservative churches. And I was studying families in these churches, and I was asking the question, why are so many young people not involved in the church? Especially at age 18, 19, and 20. Why the big gap? What was going on? And I asked the question of many parents and pastors and priests and kids, just as many as I could find. And what they said was exactly what we've been saying this morning, where it's really hard to stay involved in church when I'm out building my resume all week long. And the church doesn't help me really build my resume, Unless I'm in leadership or something, there's nothing I can put on a piece of paper that can show the school that I want to get into that uh, this is worthwhile to go to church. And so, unless I'm in leadership, we don't go. It happened over and over and over again. And again, it was so interesting to me. Catholic or Protestant, liberal or conservative, didn't matter. The families were dealing with the same realities. And this represents a significant change, as I've referenced from even a generation ago. There's something sociologists call uh, opportunity structure, meaning that we may want to sort of realize our individual dreams and passions, but we might not have the opportunity to do so. There might not be a structure of opportunity that allows us to pursue our dreams. But increasingly, because of two things, mobility and technology— we have far more opportunity in this generation to realize our dreams than in any generation that's ever existed here in this country. I remember growing up in Plymouth in the 1970s and 1980s. And back then, brother, it was the sticks out here. It was dirt roads everywhere you went. If we ever wanted to take a journey west, uh, that journey west was off of Highway 55 for me, and we would usually stop at Dundee Nursery. It's about as far west as we get. And if we wanted to get really aggressive, we would end up where? We'd end up at Medina Ballroom. <laughs> and we would like have to pack a lunch for that five-mile journey. It's like, who knows what's gonna happen. And we would we would make sure not to miss that turn at Medina Ballroom, because if you went further west, that was like edge of the earth kind of stuff. That was, you know, Columbus never made it that far. There were unsubstantiated rumors of a place called Hamel. <laughs> And you didn't want to end up in Hamel. I mean, the indigenous people of Hamel were not to be trifled with. <laughs> and 694, <laughs> that was sort of the, the river between here and the afterlife, right? That was the river Styx. If you found yourself in Blaine, you're like, whoa, where, where am I right now? It's not of this world. There was these barriers there. And if you wanted to stay in touch with your loved one, you had to call them with a phone on a wall and uh, be about 10 feet away. And if they left for the store you would have to pray over them because there's no way to know for sure if they'd come back alive. <laughs> they're at Red Owl. Who knows if they're going to make it? <laughs> I remember being on the traveling basketball team here at WyZetta, and it was four months out of the year we had to devote to basketball to be part of the traveling basketball team. That was an aggressive commitment four months out of the year, and then once a year we got to do this huge thing called a tournament down in Rochester where we stayed overnight for two nights, and it was just almost unthinkable that we would leave home like that. And then in ninth grade, if you could survive those really aggressive four months, year in and year out, by ninth grade you're rewarded with a tournament, the tri-state tournament in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We all made sure we had our passports. (laughs) And we'd end up... In these places, and I know some really dear friends of mine, and they're not alone, they're just like our life, where just even a couple weekends ago, they were in Phoenix for five days in the latest soccer tournament. And that's just sort of normal. Five days is a long time to travel, isn't it, somewhere? I've been to baseball tournaments out of state, I've been in all these places, and it just it takes up so much time and energy and resources and effort. But as the opportunity structure has increased for so many by mobility and by technology, then the competitiveness has increased as well to get ahead, to be whatever we want to be. Because before, if you were really good during those four months in traveling basketball, you might have a shot at a college scholarship. But it was expected you'd probably be playing baseball or being in band or just sitting for six months out of the year doing nothing. Now if you want to be part of something and have the opportunities to be whatever you want to be, it's 12 months out of the year. Commitment because a Premier League soccer team is far better than a recreational club. Isn't it? it? Takes all of the time and all of the energy. When I grew up a generation ago, too, because there wasn't so much mobility, we sort of had a village mentality, and I knew my neighbors, and I remember, I, I think my parents actually paid the neighbors across the street to look after us day in and day out. I think she just sort of stood at the window and just watched, and I was far more concerned with Big Brother across the street than I was with even my own parents. We couldn't get away with anything back then because we were sort of in a village connected together together. To have given a sermon a generation ago about staying connected as families would have actually not made any sense. Think about where we've been in just a generation. Highway 12, for me, growing up was filled with stoplights. It took an eternity to get downtown if you wanted to make that journey. Now, in less than 10 minutes on 394, we can be downtown just like that. Our dearest family friends live 20 miles from Hallie and me. And we didn't even think about it. Air travel is so much more accessible. The internet has created such a significant opportunity. And what I found, as I've said, among my young people is that they talk about the fact that they're involved in so many different relational environments, but none of those relational environments are connected with each other anymore. So I put a, I'll put up a diagram. This is from some of the research that I did. These were fictional characters, one from individualistic America, and one would be from more of a village mentality in Africa. This would be fictional Alex with all of his different communities of which he's a part, 17, 18-year-old, in Facebook, employment, church, athletics, band, family, online gaming school, all of those sorts of things. And none of those environments are connected with one another. I remember when I was growing up that the people that I might have been employed by were the same people that were my basketball coaches that I went to church with, that I went to school with, and we were sort of held together. I didn't feel disconnected growing up like I do now. We've shifted so much. Alex, uh, in this fictional example, but it's representative of these people in the churches that I talked with and most of my young people in classes today, they say, you know, the only common denominator in my life is what? It's me. And I feel isolated and fragmented and alone, even though I'm with people all day long. By contrast, in more of a village mentality, in a fictional Ezekiel, you see that in all of these environments, that Ezekiel might be in a lot of different places, but those places are all interconnected, and Ezekiel finds himself as part of a bigger story. He finds himself as part of connected to a group of people who have common values and common ideals. And even though he's in many different relational environments, each one feels sort of somewhat similar. It was really fun growing up to go out to dinner with families that would also be basketball coaches and that might be there on a Wednesday night church program. You felt connected seeing them in multiple environments. And what I find with my young people... And I've asked, and I think I've said this probably from the pulpit before, but I asked them the question. Uh, you are more connected than any generation ever. How many of you feel isolated and alone? And in a room of 30 students, and you get, I mean, it's, it's usually between 25 to 28 that raise their hands. And most of them are incredibly empowered to be and becoming whatever they want to be and become. It's a different value of the states and our country than it is of the... Kingdom, all of which leads to the last point, which is just simply that. Jesus's beautiful kingdom and the values within it are indeed different than the values of a Western individualistic culture. Now, in saying that, please understand that in today's heated political environment, I am not at all suggesting that socialism or communism or uh, some other organizing structure is somehow more consistent with kingdom life. I wouldn't be a socialist any more than I would be a Packers fan. They're both (laughs) non-believers. Sort of self-evident, right? The point is is that there is no world system, capitalism or individualism, socialism or communism, that is synonymous with the one eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. Not one. The values of Jesus' kingdom are unique and eternal and never-ending, and in God's kingdom, there's different kinds of statements. Not you can be whatever you want to be, but as I've already said, your life is not your own. It's been bought with a price. What what, what would it mean if when our children are two, three, and four, and five years old, that that was the primary message that we parented towards? I I don't even know how to frankly think that way. I don't know what that would mean to have that as the value. What does it mean to say that the kingdom says you can gain what? The whole world, but at what cost? Lose your soul. You can have all the opportunity structure in the world. And gain it all. But you can lose your soul. Kevin talked about being broken just a little bit ago. Jesus says, the one way into my kingdom. The one way is this. This is Matthew 5 at the Beatitudes. He starts this way. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Or blessed are the broken. Blessed are actually those who know they don't have what it takes. Not that they do have what it takes. Blessed are those that know they don't have what it takes for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' kingdom says that we're bondservants of a king. Jesus' kingdom says that if you want to follow me, it only, it only costs you one thing. But it's a big one. It's, it's your whole life. You can't serve two masters, says Jesus. If you try to walk on one, it might be a wide path to destruction. There's only one narrow path of life. You can't serve two. And oh dear, am I weary of trying to serve two. But I haven't been in many environments where uh, people are trying to figure out what it means to serve one and not do the tension of both. We're swimming in these waters. It's hard to know sometimes week in and week out the waters in which we're swimming. But all, again, I can say is in teaching our best and our brightest of our evangelical kids week in and week out at places like Northwestern and Bethel, it does seem like things maybe are coming to some sort of critical mass where the tension of opportunity structure and trying to pursue individualized dreams is meeting up with a kid, and they can't do both. And as I'm saying, I am not an alarmist by any stretch, but I do feel like a canary in the coal mine sometimes. As the kids crack open, and they say we are filled with anxiety and turmoil, and we're now cutting to try to deal with it, and we don't know how to be in relationship with other people, and we just don't even know where to go or what to do. I don't know for sure what to do with that. Kevin and I talked this last week about some practical tips about how we can begin parenting towards that end. And and I confess I don't have many. (laughs) Um, Can we be in prayer with one another? Yes. Can we FaceTime our kids during the day? Yes. Can we do a a devotional? Yes. Can we go on family vacations? Yes. Um, And those are all important. They really are. But boy, that hamster wheel in our culture seems to be spinning awfully fast, doesn't it? And maybe those are good first steps for getting off the hamster wheel, but I wonder what it looks like to get more and more off that hamster wheel. And what would be at risk for our kids if we said, you know what, you actually can't be whatever you want to be, but we can learn how to follow the voice of Jesus in our lives together. What would be at risk? They might not become the doctor, lawyer, all the metrics of cultural success, but they might begin to find themselves as part of a kingdom in which they're connected to a bigger story. And they're connected to something more and greater and deeper. I don't know, frankly, Kevin and all the rest of us, I don't know if you can grow a church with that kind of message. I don't know if you can. Um, I'm pretty well convinced that if Steve Jobs were still alive today, he wouldn't have even had to have been a believer to grow a church of 25,000 just like that because he understood the psychology of people and he understood how to sort of weave himself into their lives so that they would begin to follow him. But I don't know for sure what it means for a community of people to be increasingly undivided disciples who are connected relationally with one another to continue to follow out the beautiful call of shining Jesus' light in this generation. It's not easy. I don't know what it would take. I don't. My life has been spent in churches over the last 25 years and there's so many lovely people who are feeling less than Christian who are feeling like they don't have what it takes but it's not because you're less than Christian I think we just sometimes misunderstand and underestimate the cultural forces that are arrayed against us to try to create opportunities for our kids it's a tricky situation for sure on that I'm haunted by a story that I, one of the churches, um, a youth pastor in one of the churches that I studied in said, it's a very wealthy church, well to do. And I asked her, I said, so uh, where are your 18, 19, and 20 year olds? And she said, well, they're not here. Um, and then she said these words, and they'll, ha- they'll probably haunt me until I die. She said, it would actually be weird if they were still here. We've encouraged them to spread their wings to go find themselves to try to figure out who they are in this life. We've empowered them for just that kind of opportunity. It would actually be weird. And we would look at them like, why are you still here? We've done what we did and done to so allow you to spread your wings and find your way on your own. Which, at the end of the day, is a really weird perspective from the perspective of world history. And it certainly is a perspective that's different, it apparently is different than that of the kingdom of God. So it doesn't feel like safe ground, hardly even one of these questions, as families and as a culture, so invested and so involved, I don't know what it would mean to even begin to step off the hamster wheel uh, on so many of these conversations. But what I do know is this, what is safe ground, is there is one a fundamental fact, and that's the kingdoms of this world that we so easily give our lives to and swim in the waters of all day long as families and as people, one day they will come to an end as well. And I can give my whole life to some pursuit of individualistic opportunity. And when I die, it'll burn away like chaff at the end. Because there's only one kingdom that knows no end. Because what is true is unto us a child has been born. And unto us a son has been given. And there will be a government that rests on his shoulders. And he's mighty counselor and prince of peace and everlasting father. And of the increase of his kingdom and of his government, there is no end. I don't know what it would mean to start our kids off from a different place. I don't know what it would mean to get off the hamster wheel when our kids are already 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. I don't know the answers to those questions. So invested in the hamster wheel are we. But there is only one king and one Lord and one God. And there's only one kingdom worth pursuing. And here's what I know. All of you and me and my family. Here's what's true about us. We are sons and daughters of that king. We are sons and daughters of that king. That is our identity. And to the extent that we can walk in these things, we can join a great cloud of witnesses that has been walking in this kingdom well before us and maybe feel connected in a much greater story than just the story of our own lives pursuing whatever we want to be.